0: Four games, four Premier League defeats for Norwich City, but there's a whole lot of context behind those results. Um, not being the best start to life in the Premier League, but we will dissect it as ever. This is the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast, uh, reflecting on Norwich City's 1-0 defeat to Arsenal at the Emirates on Saturday. Connor Southwell standing in for Dave Freezer, joined by Paddy Davitt to uh, look at everything about that game on Saturday, which was... Well, this is, this is going, to be, going to be my first point, really, Paddy. Does that does this result sort of sum up Norwich City in the Premier League? Quite close to getting something. Looked like um, possibly at one stage they were well in the game, but ultimately falling the wrong side of maybe a little bit of luck and some questionable defending.
1: Uh, I don't think we need to continue with the podcast. That's, that's pretty much summed it up for me, Connor. I think we can stop right there. Stop Hit, hit, hit stop on the record. Yeah, that is increasingly the the way these games are panning out. And okay, yeah, four games in, so we can't extrapolate that this is how the rest of the season will will pan out from here. But lots of good things in any given 90 minutes, even, you know, the Liverpool and Man City results, um, there were positive elements. Um, But there is a common theme, and that is, you know, for me, it's both boxes. It's Norwich are pretty toothless now in the final third at this level so far against these teams, and that needs to change. Uh, otherwise, fundamentally, they're not going to create enough chances and score enough goals to get the points that they're going to need to stay in the division. It's very simple. And then, yeah, it, it, when we say the other box, it's not just simply a focus on Norwich's defenders. I think as a, as a collective out of possession it, at this level, if you make the type of errors Norwich make, and that's coughing up cheap possession in bad areas of the field as we sit here this morning... Um, Day after the Arsenal game, it's four games played, league games, no points, one goal, and that was a penalty. Team of against Leicester, and um, and those measures are simply not going to be good enough. And on those measures, th- th- there's no no discernible difference to what they did two seasons ago over the entire piece when they were a long, long way short. And um, you know, all those analogies about going to wars without the requisite ammunition uh, came into play. But off the back of the transfer window, they've just concluded, you, you don't feel that is the case. So and it was emphasised again, we'll get into it in due course, with, with the you know the changes he made. And it didn't really dilute the quality, I didn't think. So that tells you the depth of the squad is incomparable between this season and two seasons ago. So there are similarities at this stage, but I think the underlying optimism I would retain is that... that they do feel like they're, they are more competitive and that they are closer to what is required to get results in this league, but not quite yet there. And and until they reach that threshold, then we're still going to probably be talking about errors defensively and not offering enough in forward areas. And that's not really a recipe for anything other than a return to the championship.
0: No, it, it really isn't. Uh, you, you kind of mentioned there maybe the the positives, um, which is, is is probably good to get out of the way relatively early on and, and we will perhaps come back to a certain individual in, in the Norwich defence who was, who was very good yesterday, a bit later on. But is it what you said there in terms of this Norwich team in, in the opening four games we haven't seen a 90-minute performance. We haven't seen a, a consistent, um, positive 90-minute performance. We've seen patches. Um, Daniel Farker thought that for, what, 65 minutes of the Liverpool game, Norwich were, were pretty good, you could say, in patches of the Leicester game as well. They were very good, probably um, around half an hour to, to half-time at the Emirates on, on Saturday. Um park man city because there there are probably very few positives to take out of that one but this does feel like it's a a group of players and a squad and and a head coach as well i suppose that is going to grow into this season whereas that probably wasn't the stage two years ago they burst onto the scene it always felt like maybe they didn't necessarily have a bit more to give they didn't have the quality to to grow into it maybe does feel like that with with this squad or certainly i i I think so at least
1: oh 100 percent and um you only have to look at the the makeup of the personnel yesterday. That you can dip out Todd Cantwell, put in Kieran Dowell, Ben Gibson comes out. Uh, there, we need to remind anybody an eight million pounds summer signing. Uh, that's the pedigree of player who wasn't getting in the eleven yesterday, and he was his place was taken by a nineteen year old young Irishman making his Premier League debut, um, Mio Rashita, who has been and was awarded August Player of the Month for Norwich, but arguably their most uh, impressive of the clutch of summer signing so far, but as Daniel explained it after the game yesterday, for, for reasons mainly around his workload for Kosovo over this recent international period, he dropped out. And who comes in? Another £9 million young attacker. Daniel Farker rates as potentially world-class in Christoph Scholis. So, and that's even before you get to the two guys who came in in that sort of final 48 hours or so of the window, which is Ozan Kabak and Matthias Norman, both unused substitutes yesterday. There's absolutely no doubt this squad is far better in terms of the quality, I feel, and the depth of the quality than two seasons ago. So, but taking those two as a prime example, you know, Daniel said they literally turned up on Thursday, and that was the first time they were almost having to do their introductions to the rest of their teammates. So, to pitch them in against Arsenal uh, would have been very premature. And, And for those reasons, you kind of your mind goes back to what Daniel said off the back of a very, very COVID disrupted pre-season that ultimately the time to start judging will be for him was prior was after this first international break. Well, we've got to that point now. We've got those four what was supposedly when the fixtures came out in the summer, a nightmarish start. Well that that's that's beyond Norwich now. That's the other side. And uh, and now they go into this Saturday, and I know we'll get into that in more depth maybe later on, but Watford at home, one of their fellow promoted sides. They beat Villa on the opening day, but they haven't picked up a point since. And now, uh, if you like, the real harsh um, assessments of whether Farker and his players have got enough at this level are going to start, you know, the build-up to this game will be centred around, right, this, Okay, I mean, they were talking about must win for Mikel Arteta on Saturday, and he himself described it as that after the game, do not I don't think, we, given we're only five games in, as it will be this weekend, I think that's premature to say it's a must-win. But can you imagine if Norwich come out of Watford at Carr Road without another point on the board? Then, uh, you know, I think all the optimistic shoots uh, are going to be buried because, ultimately, if you're not able to get points from, from a fellow promoted site on home turf, then, you know, it's hard to see how they can begin to sort of construct an argument that they can survive in this division. So it's, yeah, there's, there's still enough, for me, optimism um, to, that, that that needs to be kind of at the forefront of everybody's minds going into this weekend. But it is a very fragile optimism and, it, and it's based on a sense that, yeah, for all those reasons, the disrupted preseason, the players coming in very late in the window, then the international disruption of the break. Um, that that now is a full week starting from Monday at Colney with new and old players to integrate them and meld them into a unit that when they appear at Cairo on Saturday uh, are able to be at the risk of repeating what I've already said. Too potent up front and and defensively sound uh, at the back and that isn't defensively just in terms of the back four, but also the protection in front, uh, you know, i.e. Matthias Norman maybe coming in. So yeah, I, I think it's, it's going to be very difficult to, to sort of talk in these upbeat terms if we sat here, you know, this time next week and Watford have come to town and gone away with the three points because then, you know, any sort of pessimism that is already around and already in the air, that's only going to grow because, uh, if you can't beat the teams in and around you and they didn't do that anywhere near well enough, uh, if at all uh, two seasons ago, then if that trend is going to be continually continue to be quite a negative regressive trend, then let's be honest, we all know where that path leads and that's back to the championship. So um, yeah, it is maybe hard, hard to still tip towards more the optimistic side because you look at our league table and it doesn't make for pretty reading and, and also the goal output for me is is very concerning, you know. And there is question, bigger questions there about Timu Puki and the system that they're playing now. And does he look comfortable? And obviously you, the removal of his creator in chief and Emmy Buendia, that hasn't been replaced yet. And all those questions will continue to persist if Norwich are, are not offering enough in terms of the final third. So, yeah, at the moment, yeah, still still tipped towards the optimistic side of the ledger, but that is based pretty much exclusively on the business they've done and Farkin now getting a, a chance, a proper chance to integrate those new players into the players you already had uh, and building on some of the more positive aspects in these performances.
0: Yeah, you, you mentioned fragile optimism there. I've, I've got the lead table up in front of me and you look from maybe 14th, where Southampton currently sit, all the way down to, to Norwich in, in 20th at the bottom. And there are only two teams in that clutch of uh, of teams that have won a game, and that's Watford and Arsenal. Of course, Watford beat Villa on the opening day, and Arsenal beat Norwich yesterday. And, and beyond that, uh, a few sort of smatterings rings of draws. But Southampton, even in 14th, uh, are yet to win a game, have picked up three draws. Um, Leeds obviously play on Sunday, um, which is um, before we, or after we recorded this, rather. Um, they're yet to, to pick up a, a, a win. But, Norwich are the only team who who haven't yet picked up a point and uh, they, they have the worst goal difference in the league already have conceded 11 only scored one as you mentioned yet to score a goal from open play and we'll perhaps come back to Arsenal shot tally in a moment but that that does seem to be the issue doesn't it at the moment not necessarily the chances they're conceding because um, and, and perhaps we'll come on to why that 30 shot statistic is a little bit misleading to to an extent Um but it's the lack of cutting edge at the top end of the pitch at the moment. They, they didn't really, and we talk about the spells of positive football they had yesterday, particularly before half-time, um, they didn't really look like scoring, did they? And, and this will be the issue again for Daniel Farker, and it does nothing to maybe quiet down the debate about Timu Puki and his role in the team. But um, personally, I think it probably extends a bit wider than Timu Puki. They're not, not scoring goals because of Timu Puki. It seems to be a structural issue rather than a Timu Puki problem.
1: Yeah, and I would agree with that. I mean, there's just a, lack, a general, and it's not just about Timu Puki, but there's a general lack of conviction or belief for me when Norwich players are getting into those opportunities to to actually test. I mean, Ramsdale making his debut for Arsenal yesterday. Off the top of my head, I think it was a a floaty, left-footed curler from Max Aaron's 25 yards out in the first half was the only real work he had to do. Well, that's simply you know not good enough. If you, if you're Norwich and you, you're trying to uh, you know get a point slash three points at this level, you need to be working keepers far better than that. I mean, you know, Timu Puki had a couple of chances in stoppage time, and and again, I, I don't I don't know because he's played at this level before and he knows what it's all about. Whether there is it is the bigger issue about his confidence is a little bit sapped because he's playing in a, a system which maybe. Doesn't maximize, you know, his individual qualities in quite the same way as when they're in the championship, and we have to keep mentioning him. You know, his his chief partner in crime is no longer on the pitch anymore, and that telepathic understanding they had. Uh, but it just—he had two shots in, in stoppage time. There was one where it, you know his movement was good. He got across the, uh, his marker near post. Rashid to cut it, cuts it in from left hand side, and it was just a very tame attempt at a shot and I think it took a deflection and went for a corner and then it might have been directly from that corner i no I'll tell you a lie it might have been one of the deeper free kicks they put in towards the end and he, he's brought the ball down lovely and, and got a shot away and maybe on that one you know it did take a you know a block from an Arsenal defender so it was you know technically on target but he just he just strikes me as a man lacking in confidence and and maybe that is a lot to do with you know the the realisation on his part that this is a different Norwich and it's a different type of setup that Farker is striving to achieve. You know, injecting players like Zolis and Rashita into that attacking mix. You are you are but fundamentally suggesting it's going to be slightly different to the the Cantwell Buendia access with Pookie and, and and far more kind of Technically proficient and and almost trying to thread and 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 work out the puzzles of of players in and around them in those central areas. If it, it feels like they want to be far more potent, maybe in wider areas now. And and you know, balls into the box. I don't think necessarily, you know, is, is Timu Pukis forte. It's balls o- over over defenders and down channels for him to to run onto and. So far, he he would be in his rights to say he hasn't really had the service over these four games that he would need to showcase what we feel he's got, which is goals in him. But how do you how do you fundamentally change that if Daniel if Daniel feels that the overall balance of the team is now better suited to to maybe changing what he wants from Timu Puki? Then Timu then Puki has to try and get on board with it, otherwise. He'll come out the side and maybe a Josh Sargent when he's fit, or, or an Adamida will get an opportunity. But given how important he has been to Daniel Farquhar, I think he'd be loath to do that. So it's one of, and maybe you could argue with those stats you quoted about their lack of output. Maybe, maybe the biggest structural issue that the coach has to sort at this moment in time because. You know, if you cannot have an effective Timu Puki leading the line, then it does nullify a lot of what Norwich are trying to do under Daniel Falcon and have tried to do in previous seasons. And um, at the moment he's not effective and and at the top end of the pitch they're not effective. You know, they're as I say, it feels like it's it's a work in progress, but how much time can they reasonably afford to give this? You know, it was interesting there was a pre-match interview with Tim Krull to the BBC and he was more or less saying you can't really judge us until January when we've played all these teams but if the reality is by January you're you're some points adrift then you know the time for judgment is past isn't it ultimately they need to maintain certainly that their position in that rank of clubs you listed there maybe who are let's be honest yeah none of those are are exactly ripping up any trees at this stage so it's not exclusively directed at Norwich, these sort of question marks around productivity and picking up points on a regular basis. There are a clutch of clubs who are all going to have to answer the same questions. But at the minute, you don't see in that top end of the pitch that Norwich carry enough about them to to trouble teams at this level. And until that changes, uh, it's going to be a struggle. And and that's obviously before we get to maybe some of the structural issues in terms of the, the protection or lack of to that back four. So... You know, There's plenty of work ahead for Daniel, his coaches and those players um, to distill the good things that they've done in these four games, but to produce a far more robust, consistent 90-minute type of template, which would, you would hope then, be good enough to get points against, if not the, the top bracket of clubs in this league, certainly the majority of the other
0: teams it does feel that they, they possibly might need a different kind of profile of striker up there. The, the two you mentioned there, certainly more physical, um, more willing to to hold up the ball if they are going to persist with these. Uh, as we said, a slight change. For sheets to someone with with pace who wants to essentially get into wide positions and look to cross the ball. We saw Norwich look to, to cross the ball quite, quite often. It was... When they did go forward, it was kind of the the success they did have was getting into wide positions as opposed to those central positions. So you do wonder if that's something you look at. But yeah, you would imagine Daniel Farker will be loath to, um, to to certainly drop Timo Puki out of it. So is there a solution that Norwich City can find? And maybe it does lie in that midfield, which is an area of the pitch. It feels like we've been speaking about since they lifted the, the, the championship trophy back in May, really, doesn't it? Um, when we knew Ollie Skip was going to depart and Alex Tetty as well, Mario Vrancic. And it was then about getting options in. Mateus Norman's arrived. He probably arrived at the Emirates, um, not fully aware of, of some of his teammates' names. I think that's probably fair enough, given um, how little time he's, he's had at Colney. So it, it does feel... Yeah, like you said earlier on, it's it's that fragile optimism, but equally everyone knows the effects that defeats and consecutive defeats in the Premier League can have because it can knock confidence, it can affect performances. So for all the talk of maybe good spells and, and good patches and promise and green shoots and everything that we've spoken about in the last few weeks, as Daniel Farker said, it, um, praise doesn't doesn't get you anywhere, doesn't it? It doesn't keep you in the Premier League, and it it will be points. And at the moment, Norwich City aren't, aren't getting those, and and they need to find a way to do that. Um, just to to talk about that defensive protection, then and then move this on before we look at that Abamian goal and and uh, maybe debate that a little bit. Thirty shots—that's kind of the figure that that has been banded about. Um, certainly, a lot of Norwich fans have have raised that on social media when kind of talking about the game as as a whole. I actually felt for really the first hour, it was a fairly low margin game. Um, There wasn't too many clear-cut opportunities, certainly not for Norwich, as we've discussed, um, but not really for Arsenal either. I mean, they had the one where Aubameyang was played over the top, but a lot of their shots were coming from range, wasn't it? And we know the way Norwich defend, they're probably not good enough to stick in a a, a relatively low block and and look to defend teams for 90 minutes because that's not the way they, they play. So what is the solution for Norwich City being more defensively robust, but equally having that sort of cutting edge at the top end of the pitch, because it seems like that is maybe a balance that is, is missing because Norwich City are going to concede goals at this level. And Daniel Farker said after the game, if you meet Manchester City, Chelsea, Liverpool, um, even Arsenal on a day where they're at a hundred percent, and I don't think Arsenal were at a hundred percent by any stretch, but it can be very difficult with this level, even if you do produce a performance that is very good.
1: Well, go, but you know, you loathe to continually heart back to two seasons ago, but that inherent, um, structural issue was never solved and that was started with Leitner and Tribal in the opening weeks of the season ended up with McLean and uh and Alex Tete two as, a, as two pairs two contrasting midfield screening deeper line whatever label you want to attach pair of midfielders so it's it it it's not quite in the same scenario at the minute because, you know, um certainly Kenny McLean offers a bit more bite and, and Lucas Rupp to an extent. Um, But there is something fundamentally not quite re- clicking with the balance of that midfield at the minute because, you know, we just had a long section there where we're discussing what they're not offering in forward areas. So clearly, you know, that isn't just a focus on Timu or Josh Sargent or Adamida. There's there's midfield issues or parts of that equation as well, which have to be resolved. And likewise, you know, yeah, you can look at 30 shots and think, oh my God, but I think there was 10 of those were on target. You know, you made the point before we started recording. A lot of those were very speculative, long-range efforts. I'd make the point as well that Daniel made after the game that he obviously had to chase that game in the final 20 minutes, made a lot of attacking-minded uh, uh, introductions. Uh, Countwell, Rashid, uh, uh, and obviously Adam Ida. And that clearly opened up the game, and and then Arsenal's better chances in that block of ten came in that period. So, you know, there are there are reasons why it was on 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 paper. You look at it, and you think, well, that's that's a ridiculous amount of chances to cough up if you're the the defensive side. But yeah, I, I'd agree. I don't think it was kind of the Alamo for ninety minutes. Far from it. You know, Norwich were for for phases of that game in the first hour at sixty five minutes. They were in control of the game. They were they were dictating the flow of that game without packing too much of a punch at the top end. So if you were Farky, you'd probably turn around and say, in in, in the context of this discussion about midfielders and screening, well, well, it worked for an hour or, or 65 minutes. But I still felt within that, you know, there was there was instances where, you know, Rupp and, and Lise Malou and, and McLean to a lesser extent. But, you know, defensively, you do worry that that trio aren't going to be able to provide the protection required um, to, to shield a back four from, you know, as it was on Saturday, Bukaya Sako or, or Nicolas Pepe or, or Aubameyang, you know, pouring through, irrespective of Arsenal's very poor by their standard start to the season. Those three, A, highly rated, B, expensively purchased Saka would be, obviously, if he was on the open market, go for many, many millions. And, um, and that is the quality Norwich were trying to subdue yesterday. And, you know, is Norman the is Norman the be all and end? Or well, we'll probably find out soon enough. But um, I, I don't think he's a like for like for skips. So straight away, there's going to still have to be some degree of evolution from what we had last season, which was more often than not a skip McLean, um, skip Rock at the start of the season. But you know, essentially a two in front of the back four, which their primary role uh, was breaking up play, putting out fires. Um, and also building the play from deep. Now, Norwich haven't as yet found that blend in a three, you know, whether it was Gilmore, Rupp, Lees, Malou, or, or McLean thrown in the mix. Now they've got uh, Matthias Norman, um comes with a label of a defensive midfielder. I think he's a bit more than that. If you sort of look at the amount of shots he, he's had uh, when he was at Rostov, and uh, as a result, you know, again, structurally, Farker needs to, you know, work out which personnel in which shape across midfield offering that balance between protecting his back four but also linking the play and and, and trying to be the constituent parts to, to supply if it's Pookie for the for the time being or the other strikers with enough service and enough decent chances um for Norwich to you know carry a threat going the other way. So Really fascinating how, how Daniel deconstructs that, you know, because I think Norman, you would feel, given he was one they've chased for quite some time over this summer, uh, they have identified him as, if not a, a like for like for Skip, certainly can take on many of the facets of Ollie Skip's game. So he's going to play. And and then, if if it is Daniel persisting with a three in midfield, who are the other two from Gilmore, Rupp, Lise Malou, and Kenny McLean? And for me, I'm not going to make any predictions because we looked a bit foolish yesterday when we did the team news, and and uh, Zolis is playing, and Gilmore's out, and uh, Alabama Daly's playing. So, I think that is a reminder not to try and second guess Daniel Farker when it comes to team selections. But all joking aside, he and we said that I think we said this pretty much over the summer when they were looking for if it wasn't going to be Skip a Skip replacement, getting that right could hold the key to how this season pans out because if Norwich finds that that balance and that blend between a midfield which can offer a deeper line midfielders should I say, that can offer that protection, but also be able to link to the more progressive midfield types and the forward players ahead of them, then I think with a fair win, Nor- Norwich will be competitive and should be able to pick up points. Whether that will be good enough in the final analysis to finish 17th or above, who knows, but at the minute, certainly In these first four league games the midfield mix isn't offering that balance um but in both areas i would say defensive protection and also attacking wise so you know as much as finding the answer at the top end of the pitch i think there's another structural key facet that daniel needs to get right now moving forward and that is what that midfield balance looks like
0: yeah as as much as we kind of talk about the loss of emby bundier from an attacking sense and how Norwich have maybe sought to replace him with not an out and out like for like player, maybe two or three players and breaking up his attributes that um, I think it was the the Villa chief exec explained so well after Jack Grealish. Now, it kind of feels like Norwich have tried to do a similar thing with Buendia and maybe they've looked to do a similar thing with Skip as well, because realistically they, they probably weren't for their finance and, uh, and the resource that they have. So their disposal um, going to be able to find uh, another Ollie skip? Certainly not um, for, for the fee that that would have commanded. So maybe we're looking at a Norwich City midfield that is trying to blend his best attributes as well and, and trying to find that solution. Equally, Norwich did play a, a two quite a lot in, in the Premier League two years ago and, and ultimately look at where that put them. So it does feel like we're, we're maybe... In a realm where Daniel Farker's trying to implement the lessons he's learned, but equally, as you said, they're just trying to find the blend and that central role that there's been so much emphasis on with Billy Gilmore increasingly doesn't feel like the kind of screening role that we saw Ollie Skip do last year. It feels more like a a, a role that's certainly sort of geared to being in possession and uh, and being more of an orchestrator than maybe someone who, who's a screener. With them, the two on the left and the right, maybe adding a bit more legs um, up and down. And and something I've noticed is throughout the first few games, I don't think they did it particularly well in the first half against Leicester, but um, did it slightly better yesterday was their keenness to press and 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 to really go at opponents, um, which is which has been kind of a marked change from perhaps what we've seen under Daniel Farquhar in the past, where his teams have primarily kind of stood off opponents and, and looked to be in a, in a bit more of a deep block. So that's that's something interesting to watch as well, and and to see how that evolves. And we talk about results affecting confidence of players; they can also affect confidence of uh, and, and thought process of coaches. So um, yeah, it's it's going to be fascinating to see how it develops, but. It's important to note, Daniel Farker did predict this. He did say it would be a bumpy start to, to life in the Premier League. I think he said in his um, pre-match press conference on Friday that he was expecting the first four or five games to be relatively difficult. From true crime to football, Brexit to folklore. For more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com channel Archant. come on to Watford and, and, and just how seismic that looks in just a moment. But but let's talk about, um, first and foremost, Pad, let's talk about the changes that Daniel Farker did make. for that came in, Rup, Omar Bamadeli, Kieran Dowell and Christos Solis all came in. Um, I, I think the, the response to, to, as you referenced there, our, our team news video was, was one of shock when we saw that team news because there were probably a lot of changes that we weren't expecting, certainly not Lucas Rupp, certainly not Luke, uh, Kieran Dowell. Uh, and interestingly, Daniel made a point that Kieran Dow was, was was thrown in for kind of his defensive side of his game on, on Kieran Tierney.
1: He did. That was that was part of it. And also, it felt like, you know, he talked about his focus and his the manner that he trained over the two weeks. And we know from Daniel Farger's longevity in the post that he he places a huge emphasis on what he sees in any given training week. Um, you know, I'm... Um, Immediately popping into my head is the, the Bournemouth omissions uh, last season, was it? Of, well, uh, was it two seasons ago? Of uh, Camp, no, this last, last season of Campwell and Buendia because brackets didn't like what he'd seen in training in the lead up. So that was Dowell in, Campwell out. Yeah. And a um, bit of a surprise that he, he flagged up Kieran Dowell's sort of defensive instincts uh, because I don't think that's something we naturally would associate with his play, but. Yeah, I thought much like Norwich as a unit. I thought for 60-65 minutes, he was probably getting what he'd hoped from that 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 changed lineup. But uh, but there was a there was a growing sense for me anyway, watching it live that you know they were starting to to slip off those levels and Arsenal were beginning to dictate how that game was going to pan out. And um, the manner of the goal is is frustrating. We'll get into that in due course, but. The fact that Arsenal scored wasn't a huge surprise. I didn't think anyway. I thought the the areas that Norwich were good in in that first forty five minutes certainly after Arsenal's blistering sort of opening start um, and they'd weathered that period. We didn't we didn't see enough of that in the second half. And one of those facets for me was Dal. Dal was he was kind of that link when they were trying to counter. I liked signs of that understanding he was building with Jollis. There was a couple of instances where they. They combined quite nicely and Ziollis on one occasion gets himself down the left-hand side. You talked about it. Threat from wide areas and put a lovely ball across the box and there was no takers, um, which underlines a lot of the point we've been talking about in terms of how toothless they look. Um, but it was still, yeah, I mean, not just Dow, but broadening it out. I mean, still huge calls for Daniel. And, and yes, probably not massively, massively a shock given the, the international dimension that he overlay on top of any ta- tactical or technical issues specific to Arsenal. You know, talked about Rashid, for example, played a lot of minutes for Kosovo. He played on the Wednesday against Spain in Spain. Kosovo clearly didn't have a lot of the ball. He was doing a lot of chasing and harrying. And, and then he gets back late. He sits on the coach for three and a half hours and... Bear in mind, he was one who was one of the COVID-affected players, so he didn't have the most perfect of pre-seasons either. And the same with Gilmore. You know, Gilmore, as Daniel said, probably played as many minutes for him this season than any other player in green and yellow. It goes up with Scotland. He's a key man for them. Starts all their qualifiers. Um, and as Daniel said, there's a lot of hype, a lot of spotlight on that guy every time he plays. And I think he was man of the match in Scotland's win over Moldova. So there was a whole fresh wave of He's the answer to our prayers. If you're a Scotland fan, da, 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 which he probably should be used to by now. But it, but but that was the reason. It, and, and you know, I think it's brave from Daniel to not go with Gilmore. But but again, is, is he looking at Watford at home and thinking that's a better environment in terms of Norwich's weight of possession and territory, that game potentially, that Gilmore is going to be better suited to that than possibly would have been at the Emirates? If you expected Arsenal to dominate the possession, so you know, I think there was. I think there was. He wouldn't talk about it, obviously, this past weekend. But I think there was maybe a Watford flavour to some of those choices as well, um, because obviously he knows Watford is is a far more winnable game than Arsenal away, and for those reasons, I think he's not targeted Watford, but but clearly looked at Watford maybe when he was sitting down and working out his his personnel for for Arsenal. Um, but you know. Still very brave to go with a back four that had, you know, 19-year-old Alabama Daly, Max Ahrens, yes, very experienced relatively, but still only 21. And Brandon Williams, 21 as well. You know, that's, as Daniel said, there won't have been any other Premier League team this weekend who, who went into battle with three youngsters, essentially, in their back four. But that is, as he said, Norwich's way. That's how they have to go about it. Um, we saw that in the Championship, didn't we, with Aarons, Jamal and, and Ben Godfrey. Very similar template. Um and I don't think I mean my sense was when that team moves dropped I don't think anybody was overly unhappy to see Omar Bama daily in and Gibson out maybe for for reasons we've discussed on various platforms recently um and Daniel talked about with, with Omar Bama daily it was very much the pace in Arsenal's back line he is probably their quickest defender outside of hanley um and and they f- Farker felt that was an attribute they needed more of in that back four for that game so yeah, a lot of factors went into that team selection, but there's no doubt it was quite quite surprised to, that he went quite as big as, you know, two teenage debutants in Jollis and Amabama Daily at Premier League level, Cantwell out, Dowell in, um, and obviously Gilmore, you know, the, the, the blue eyed boy from Chelsea out and, and Lucas Ruppin. So you know, ultimately I d I don't think it was albeit the result that they were hoping for. But as a performance, I, d- I don't think that, that warranted uh, anybody really forensically saying Daniel got his selections wrong for me. Anyway, I, th- I thought there was, there was more positives and negatives to, to the, the players who came in. So one can only hope that, you know, if it was part of a, a wider plan that, you know, Watford's the start of maybe a winnable, winnable burst of games that you takes take some of the heat off Rashid, so for example, and Gilmore uh, yesterday, um, that maybe Norwich will reap the benefit now going into this swing of of more winnable games, in inverted commas. But, um, yeah, I mean, it says... Maybe it says what we said at the outset, that Farker himself, and he's the one who matters because he's ultimately the one who selects the teams, he feels he has the batting order that is much deeper that he can make those changes and still put a team out which he feels is good enough to get performances. But off the back of that, hopefully results as well. And, um, yeah, ultimately if you're the head coach of a Norwich team, you don't want to be sitting down every Friday morning with a piece of paper knowing 10 of the 11 names because there isn't the competition in the squad um, to, to really force his hand. He w- he wants, I'm sure, as many selection headaches as he can get from week to week because that tells you then he has a, a, a squad of constituent parts that are all relatively, you know, this mantra we heard from Stuart Webber over the summer, they wanted quality over quantity. and And, you know, you look at one area of the team. And OK, it's not quite firing yet in terms of goals and assists, but left-hand side of midfield, you've got Jolis or So, Well, I, I, think, I think most Norwich fans would be very happy if either of them played week to week. And that level of Premier League potential, which we all hope, you know, develops eventually into actual Premier League productivity. But if you can get those type of com- competitive battles within his squad at all from back to front, then... Ultimately, that should drive up performances and hopefully results.
0: Yeah, part of me is wondering if, if we'll reach a stage this season where we see potentially a, a, a back four of um, Aaron's Omar Omavamadeli, and Brandon Williams, which would um, be remarkable. I think the, the oldest player there would be Kabak at twenty one. Um, may, maybe Aaron's is slightly older. I'm not sure, but but one of those two certainly. And then uh, with Gilmore in front of those, you're, you're looking at a very young kind of back five, so to speak. So so that would be interesting to see if we if we see that at at some point, but yeah, like you say, it was it was interesting. And uh, as we've kind of spoken about for 65 minutes, you you would probably argue that he called it just about right in terms of the way that Norwich City played, and, and they were certainly in the game. And I mean, we've we've kind of spoken chapter and verse about Norwich's issues, but you could probably break the game up into three segments. You kind of had the initial burst from Arsenal, and then Norwich regaining a bit of control between about. 30 minutes to probably just before an hour. And then maybe the the late Arsenal um, push for for a win, essentially, which they so desperately needed after kind of the barrage of criticism that has come their way, which, of course, led to the Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang goal, one which has raised a lot of controversy, um, certainly amongst Norwich fans. Daniel Farker opted to kind of um, uh, not speak about the the VAR incident so much, which um, effectively, I I think now, having seen a few replays, I, I think I can call... Um, because if if you watch it back and you have to watch it back a fair few times, Nicolas Pepe, I think, kicks the ball accidentally when he was on the floor after Krull makes a save from his initial shot, which effectively renders the whole thing a new phase of play, at which point Pierre-Emma Kabameyang is then onside to tap the ball home. So, very fine margins, but given what Norwich City fans saw before the international break and Kenny McLean's header um, getting disallowed for Todd Campbell being, well, essentially his heel being offside for standing in front of uh, of Kasper Schmeichel and, and interfering with play, um, probably a tough one to take Pad, I think that's fair. But then rolling that back even further, there's some controversy about a, a, an alleged handball from Bakaya Saka in the build-up anyway.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, certainly Hanley and, and the Norwich players felt that was the case. Uh, it's a bit inconclusive on in, in a lot of the footage that I've seen because it's almost he's on the blind side of the cameras, Saka, so you, you can't quite see that. But then surely, presumably the far-side assistant might have been able to see that. But um, but you're saying taking it back and taking it back. And, and, and actually, for me now, with, with the benefit of, you know, digesting it in far more depth than, than we get in real time as it unfolds in the ground, it actually is really sourced from, you know, Tim Krull trying to play another diagonal out to Max Ahrens, who's midair trying to pluck the ball down as Arsenal players converge on him and his touch isn't good enough. And Arsenal recycle in a very dangerous area. So yes, thereafter there were causes for certainly the handball element um, causes for complaint. If you're a Norwich player or or coach, but, um, but ultimately that goal is sourced in an error from, from Norwich and, uh, And that is isn't isolated, unfortunately, Leicester, both goals, errors from Norwich players. Some of the Man City goals, errors from Norwich players. And and it doesn't even have to be major errors at this level because the players they're playing against are so good, so sharp, so quick of thought as well as act. Um, And just any encouragement in the wrong areas of the pitch is invariably going to end up in a goal. And, And that, I'm sure they're well aware of it, the Norwich squad and the Norwich coaching staff, but that penny has to drop that you cannot give any encouragement to any team at this level, really, because they're all packed with more established, maybe over the entire squads, maybe more quality as well, and they will punish teams. And for me, that's that's the enduring frustration of Arsenal's winner, that it wasn't anything about offsides or, or VAR checks. I think, yeah, it's pretty conclusive now that Aubameyang was onside and Handballs, even, yeah, because, you know, you'll get some of them and you won't get others on, on occasion. But um, it's just that if Max Ahrens brings that ball down and plays it to a Norwich shirt, if Tim Krull tries to add a bit more variety because, you know, that tactic we've seen quite often now and uh, I'm sure it's very, very clear to teams scouting Norwich and, and looking to do their analysis that, you know, there is a desire for Krull to try and build the play um, and and. Without that variety, and I think this, you run the risk of this happening on, on a more regular basis that, you know, ultimately teams know if they press high, they press wide, um, they're going to sort of choke what Norwich are trying to do. And uh, if Norwich persists down that route, while it sort of cuts to the heart of what Farker's trying to do and how he wants to build the play, I think that there needs to be an acceptance that, you know, on occasion in, in certain circumstances, in certain types of game and certain times of game as well, you just have to come up with something a little bit different, a little bit more variety, as I say, because you know that ball that cruel played to Aaron's was by no means the first time he'd attempted that ball in the entirety of that game, and uh, nor in the previous games as well. So, you know, it puts a huge premium on Krul and Norwich's fullbacks or the centre backs to be absolutely faultless in possession, and uh, at this level, you know, any any minor detail invariably will get punished. So I think overall reflections on that whole incident isn't really tilted towards, aren't Norwich unlucky again? Haven't they fallen the wrong side of VAR again? It's more, well, that was entirely avoidable if Norwich hadn't committed the, the initial error for me.
0: I, I would be inclined to agree. It's, it's come. It's sort of back to the element of you make your own luck, isn't it? And um, uh, that's why the teams at the top of the Premier League get, get a lot of VAR decisions in their favour, because ultimately they're, they're probably more ruthless and have a bit more quality as well. So you, you need to um, take the preventative steps in order to, to um, ensure that those kind of events, those kind of attacks don't happen. And you referenced uh, Variety, we saw... Um, Emil Smith-Rowe have a glorious opportunity from Tim Krul again, just essentially kicking the ball straight to him. He then had to produce a, a pretty decent save. That was kind of a regular occurrence as the game um, accelerated towards kind of the final whistle. And it, it felt the closer we kind of got after Arsenal's goal to the final whistle, the more likely it looked that like they were going to grab a second as opposed to an orange equaliser, which probably kind of underpins the the whole point about their attacking um, their attacking edge and their attacking quality. That probably sums up Arsenal. Um, quite nicely pad. So, so now to look ahead to that Watford game next Saturday, which already five games into the season, from maybe purely from a, mu- a mood point rather than giving us any underlying answers as to whether Norwich City are going to stay in the Premier League, it feels massive, doesn't it? Because if, if Norwich City um, show all the same problems that we've spoken about at length for the, for the first 43 minutes of this podcast uh, and they lose again um, in front of a full Carrow Road crowd, that fragile optimism is is going to turn and, and, and evaporate pretty quickly, isn't it?
1: Yeah, no, I, I I really do not want to have to face a scenario where we're picking through a Norwich defeat, um, you know, unless it's the, the most contentious, and highly unlucky defeat going because Norwich have battered Watford and uh, whoever, that is, Backman, isn't it? The Austrian lad international, he's had a worldie and, uh, you know, defied Norwich almost single-handedly. It, if if it's if there's some sort of mitigation, then fine. But you know, if it's Norwich are toothless again, they don't carry enough threat. Timu Puki's looking a little bit of a lost soul. Um, the defensive protection, you know, to the to the back four isn't there. There's naivety again in terms of maybe some of the decision making in the defensive third from Norwich. You know, all the things we've talked about in this previous forty odd minutes. If they are stamped through a, a performance, and more importantly, now let's be honest. We can talk about performances all we want now, but it's about results. I think now it's getting to the point where they need to put points on the board, uh, and and if they don't manage to achieve that this coming Saturday at carra Road, then I don't think there'll be too much optimism around come come five o'clock on the final whistle. That is for sure. I think there'll be uh, a lot of doom and gloom, and um, and a lot of searing questions being asked of Farker. Absolutely, uh, because ultimately. You know, if this is going to be different, then there has to be a starting point. There has to be a line in the sand, and and there has to be a bit of a a bit of a break from what we've seen in these first four games. Which, again, risk of repeating ourselves, a lot of positive elements, but not enough when you stitch them together over any ninety minute period to pick up uh, points. Um, so that fundamentally, for me, is what these next few days leading into Watford are about. It's can Daniel settle on an eleven? Melding young, old, new, round the block a few times in, in Norwich colours, um, but an 11 essentially that can do the job, can do. Because ultimately, you know, as I say, Watford, bar that opening weekend, they're not exactly ripping up any trees. They got beat at home to Wolves this past weekend. You know, yes, they'll have decent quality players. You know, Saar was excellent at Carrow Road towards the end of last season. There we remind ourselves Watford won that game. Um And so they have players who can hurt Norwich, but fundamentally they're not in the same bracket as Liverpool, Manchester City, Leicester, and even an ailing, yet still packed with very good players, Arsenal. So, you know, this is a team who Norwich should be able to go out, put on a performance to get a result. And if they don't, then ultimately I think... uh the pressure starts to build. And and that's not pressure in terms of Daniel Farker and his position. That's just broadly because that's that's part of the broader issue, which is pressure on Can Norwich, book the odds in a far more competitive fashion than they managed over the entire piece two seasons ago when they were, let's be honest, I've said it before... You know, obviously there was mitigation because of, you know, how the second part of that season was played out in terms of empty stadia But fundamentally, they were nowhere near good enough as a group of players, nowhere near good enough as a coaching staff. Um, and they f- finished a long, long way adrift. Um, and it was quite embarrassing how far adrift they were of what was required to compete at the Premier League, not even to stay in the Premier League. So, you know, for all those reasons, different times now a lot of different players, but still fundamentally the same objective, which is to try and prove that they they can be competitive. I think that's ultimately the starting point for me, you know, because if they're competitive, then they should be able to pick up points. And if they can pick up points, then they should be able to prolong at least uh, an attempt to stay in the division. But if they're not competitive, and for me, competitive now is picking up results. It's not going 20 minutes toe-to-toe with Arsenal at the Emirates or, you know, Liverpool for an hour on the opening day or Leicester for long spells, but then ultimately falling short, whether through what the other team are doing or what Norwich are contributing to their own downfall. You know, competitive now for me is Watford this Saturday car road coming off that pitch with a result and then taking it on to the next game, you know, another eminently winnable game and the one after that and the one after that. You know, there's a run now, four or five teams who are clubs you would expect to be potentially in and around, and well, certainly in the bottom half of the Premier League. So, you know, it's really the starting pistol on a massive, maybe season-defining phase now for Daniel Farker.
0: Yeah, you, you referenced that run of games. I've, I've got it in front of me here, um, particularly the next five home games you would be looking at from an Norwich City perspective and, uh, and, make, and making the, the case that if this time is to be different, if this is going to be the year that they stay in the Premier League, then this run of fixtures is going to be one that they're going to have to extract a, a fair few points from starting on Saturday at home to Watford. But just to, to look at their home games in that period, the next five home games, starting obviously with Watford, um, it, it's then Brighton, Leeds southampton and then wolves so probably five games from a Norwich perspective you would be targeting points um away from home in that time they've got um burnley after they they go to everton they've obviously then got chelsea which is i think is, is going to be extremely difficult but there's also brentford in there um there's Newcastle away in there, uh, and then you're looking at a, a, a difficult sort of three tri- games or so when you've got Tottenham, uh, Manchester United, and Villa in December. So, so now between between now and kind of December the first, which is that Newcastle game at St James's Park, that will be the that will be the the kind of telling run of games as to whether this time is going to be different because of their what 21 points that they got last time. It's it's worth pointing out that. Eight of those, I think, came against Leicester, where they where they got four points. Obviously, beat Manchester City, and they drew with Arsenal, didn't they at Carrow Road? So, maybe this run of four games, if if we're going to bring it full circle and, and end the pod with a bit of optimism as well, maybe it's proof that that isn't going to define where Norwich City are this season because they got results against these teams last time around and failed to to, to stay in the Premier League. Um, just finally, then, Pad, uh, we we've got we haven't spoken about Brandon Williams yet. I thought he was exceptional on on Saturday. Um, I mean, Nicholas Pepe, over £70 million worth of player. There were numerous uh, moments where he made several wonderful challenges. The block in the second half, obviously one slight blemish on what was an exceptional performance with maybe his contribution to the goal. But um, one challenge, I think just before half-time on Pepe when he seemingly got away from him and he managed to get his leg round from nowhere to to win the ball, it actually prompted some applause from Daniel Farker. It was, um was tremendous. But if, if that is um, kind of a of what's to come for the on loan Manchester United left back. Then Norwich City have got a hell of a defender, haven't they?
1: And also the goal saving block as well. Early in the second half, where it's it's kind of veered towards Pepe back post, stick it in, lad. And Brandon Williams almost comes out of, out of the frame just to appear and uh, sliding block because otherwise that's a goal. Um, yeah, no, he was, and it was so. Good to see because he comes off a pitch against Leicester prior to the international break, and I'm sure his head was down because he knows himself he was ultimately uh, majorly at fault for that their opening goal, and and to bounce back says a lot about the guy's character, which I think we've already deduced anyway. You know he's a uh, he's from he's not from a, a, a particularly uh, I'll choose my words, but he's from a he's from a, a, a part of Manchester where they know all about graft and uh
0: well, he's, he's some of his um, family members are boxers, aren't they? He seems to have a boxing yeah, yeah. tradition in his family as well. And, and yeah, you can know, certainly see really that hard. with the way he plays football.
1: No, absolutely. And, and that was stamped through what we saw at the Emirates, you know, that combativeness and, uh, you know, desire to defend his lines and defend his flank. And and let's be honest, you know, that's why you knew this, OK, was injured and not in consideration for, for Arsenal, but that's why he was dipped out because he hasn't shown that defensive now, not just this season, to be fair to him, but I don't, I don't think that's something you... Necessarily associate with the guy's game from from the time he's been in in England. That's for sure, and and he'll need to find that because given where Norwich are and what their their aim is in this division, they're go- there's going to be a lot of times when they're going to have to be good defensively and resolute and 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 willing to to put their body on the line and show that athleticism and and be able to put a tackle in and a perfectly timed tackle as well. Given the the era we live in now, in terms of you know the you can't really tackle, but he certainly uh, was the exemption to that rule yesterday with some of his, you know, they were full-blooded throwback-type challenges, but perfectly timed. And he's he is the man in possession now on that left-hand side of Norwich's defence. If he maintains that level, I don't see this getting back in any time soon. And, uh, and ultimately, that's great to see because, you know, we're talking about have Norwich improved their squad with this summer outlay and he's obviously one who's come in on, on a loan from Manchester United but for me unquestionably that is an upgrade on what Norwich maybe had in the left-back areas Um certainly so, well yeah I mean I would say look, last season and obviously this season Um now we don't want to get too carried away because it was one 90-minute outing and you know after Leicester I think we were probably thinking well he looks a bit off it in terms of what's required but you know he's probably a prime example of somebody who's now had referencing what we said right at the outset, the and Norman coming in almost 24, 40 hours before the game. He's a guy now who's probably been in the club for, for a month or so. He's got to grips with it. He's had all, all that time to train, to acclimatise, to adapt, to understand the demands that Daniel Farker places on him as an individual, but also within that defensive unit. And maybe now yesterday was the, the first sign of the level of performance that he can reach. And if you can get something similar from the other newer players who are coming in and just on that journey as well to kind of integrate themselves completely, then again, you know, if we, we were ending on a positive note, then I think there are grounds for optimism because, you know, certainly his level yesterday was, for me, what Norwich need to attain as a collective. If they get to that level, more often than not, week in, week out, they'll be good enough to stay in this division.
0: Yeah, I'll uh, I'll credit Radio Norfolk's Rob Butler, who called him uh, what was it Brandon Stuart Pierce Williams um, on yeah. the evidence of, of of his performance on Saturday, which is uh, more than justified. Uh, I think we'll leave it there, Paddy. Thank you very much for joining me. I think that was um, therapeutic more than anything after four straight defeats. Um, hopefully, uh, as we say, next weekend against Watford um, will be different, and we'll bring you a podcast in light of a victory, which um, which would certainly be lovely after the the first month of, of Premier League football that we've uh, that we've had uh, you can of course listen to the pinkham podcast on uh, future radio as well i believe that goes out on wednesday evening so well worth um, checking that out and of course pinkham.com the place to go for all the latest nourish city news analysis and reaction to this defeat and as well build up to what for next weekend thank you all very much for listening watching uh, wherever you find this and we'll see you again very very soon